Welcome, City Harbor Church. You're glad that you're here. Thank you, Chiquetta, Christina, Dan, Chris, Daniel, for leading us in worship today. We are thankful for you. Jesus is alive. He is risen. Over the last few years, a number of us have rediscovered walking. Some of us working from home and whatnot. And there's this therapeutic element of, to walking. In fact, a doctor will tell you that movement promotes healing in almost any uh, medical case. It's good for mental health, spiritual health. I know for me personally, in, in 2020, walking outdoors, uh, among the trees, uh, along the water, it just really brought me peace. And who you're walking with, just like who you go on a car trip with, can really make a difference. If you ever walk with someone, that means like earbuds out, available for conversation, should it happen. Who you walk with matters. I've enjoyed some good walks uh, with some of you uh, in this room. And today we're going to look at a part of the story of Jesus where Jesus is literally, physically walking with people. Uh, we, we come into the story where the empty tomb is being investigated. And I know that regardless of how long you have attended this Sunday morning event, you might actually have questions about this. Is this, is this real? Did it really happen? And regardless of whether you've called yourself a Jesus follower, a Christian or not, I think our peace and joy has a lot to do with if we actually believe that this is a historical fact. So there's some people that have investigated this, not from a perspective of the scriptural account, but just from a, let's scrap anything that you read in the Bible, let's investigate, is this an event that actually happened? And I think everyone would benefit from looking at that. And, and we see that in the Scripture we have account that were verified by people, including a particular Jewish historian who wrote extensively about the events at this time, not focused on Jesus, but a number of events. There's the trial before Pilate. There's the Roman crucifixion. There's the temple curtain that was torn in Jerusalem. There were um, it was this public burial of Jesus in his body in a, in a tomb that was guarded by Roman soldiers. There was an earthquake that happened. The, the skies went dark at noon. There was a, a resurrection of other people that literally came up out of the cemetery. There was a lot of things that happened that are verified in historical documents. And there are also books that have been written by people who've investigated, did this actually happen? And I think that matters. Uh, this is one of those books, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Gary Habermas and, and Michael Lacona. And if you have a question about, is this real? I, I would encourage you to investigate it. Don't let another year go by with a measure of stress, anxiety that you don't have to live with. 
that might be partially because you really don't think this is real. I've been there. I get it. Another investigative account is The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And if you prefer movies, there's a movie version of the investigation. Did this stuff really happen? I think God in His wisdom waited until the Greeks came through and taught a whole lot of people their language and about reading and writing and philosophy and making reading and writing fun and entertaining. And then for the Romans to come through and their, their military rule that perfected, that perfected uh, the art of execution and the practice of making written accounts of how a person died and having medical professionals that verified a person died. I think that God in His wisdom waited out human history until these things could be verified facts. And you may not know, but there's a lot of things that are taught in our schools and colleges and universities as facts of the ancient world that we actually have four and five times as many written accounts that still exist today that stand the test of academic rigor of is this legit? Four and five times more than the writings of Plato. More copies that go back to the original day. So it's worth it to ask the questions. And where we come into the story is where the empty tomb is being investigated. Now we're going to go to Luke's account. Luke is a physician. He's a doctor. And he compiled the eyewitness accounts. He investigated and he compiled what people actually saw. And some of us have lived in Baltimore City long enough to be on jury duty. And to, in jury duty, hear what it's like to hear people's eyewitness accounts. Not that easy. <laughs> but Luke investigated the eyewitness accounts. And here's what he said at the beginning, Luke 1.1, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated, sorry, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So this account is, this is from eyewitness accounts. This is from people that saw it. They were very careful to investigate the facts. Now, where are we in the story? Well, we have Mary and Joseph. We have the virgin birth of Jesus. And the story we're going to go to today is relevant to them. I'll get to that in just a second. So Jesus is born has a relatively ordinary life for quite a while, and then has a notable few years of public teaching, of performing miracles, of, of medical professionals investigating, spiritual professionals as well, investigating people who were healed of things like leprosy, people who were raised from the dead. Jesus does miracles as a verification of his identity. So, Jesus is born, he lives, and we have this culmination of events 
in Jerusalem at the time of Passover, which is a time where thousands and thousands, Josephus, the ancient historian, wrote about this, the city of Jerusalem would swell four times its normal number of people. And at that time is where we get the, these climactic events of the personal betrayal, the false accusation, the kangaroo court, a public trials, the torture, the professional execution of Jesus in a public way, in a, and a hill that still exists. In fact, right now, there's a bus terminal at the foot of the hill where Jesus was crucified. He's put to death. He's put in a tomb, a stone hole. You can actually go visit it. My parents and sisters have visited it. The Jewish leaders who had rejected him put Roman guards on the tomb. He's crucified on a Friday, buried on a Friday, dead on a Saturday. And the Sunday morning, the tomb is empty. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, several other women go early in the morning and they find the tomb empty. And that's where I want to come into the story. And I want to come into the story with a couple of people who were close. Joseph, of Mary and Joseph, had a brother. His brother was named Cleopas. I wouldn't name my child that, but you know we don't shy away from unusual names. (laughs) Cleopas is the brother of Joseph. Cleopas is married to a woman named Mary. It was a common name at the time, right? Mary, the wife of Cleopas, was with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene at the foot of the cross. John records that she's there. So this couple is close. In fact, early church history records that they were two of the 70 that Jesus sent out. So they were people who followed Jesus on foot, Cleopas and Mary. And now we come to a part of the story where the tomb is empty, but the Marys and the other women come back to the followers of Jesus. They say the tomb is empty. Peter runs, the men, they run to the tomb. They find it empty. The women believe that Jesus is alive. The men are just stupefied. It says they didn't believe. They didn't know what to believe. They were wondering this at this unexplained Phenomenon. And now we come to the story which would have been accounted to Luke by Cleopas and Mary. So we go Luke chapter 24, picking up in verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that happened. Now this is... It's seven miles, and for an average person today, it's a two-hour and 20-minute walk, okay? It's two hours, 20-minute walk. I, I know some of us have done walks that long. And it's from Jerusalem toward in the direction, Emmaus is in the direction of the Mediterranean Sea. So it's a long walk. So they're talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. And he didn't start with, hey, Unc, this is his uncle, Joseph's brother. All right, some of you get that later. 
But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Remember, this is how they described themselves. This is how they described what happened. Sadness written across their faces. Remember, because the tomb is empty and they don't know why. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened there the last few days. This this question, especially in the original language, really carries the note of how can you be asking us this? How can you possibly be wondering what we're... There's only one thing we could be talking about. What things, Jesus asked. (laughs) Jesus often leads with questions. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet. He did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the ways of God and all the people. But our leading priests and our religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. All this happened three days ago. Now this is Sunday. They're talking about Friday. And I know some of us get tripped up on the number three. At this time, they used what's called inclusive counting. So it's important to note what they're saying about their thoughts and their evaluation and what they believed. Now remember... They walked with Jesus. They followed Jesus. They knew Jesus, Cleopas at least, from his birth. Cleopas at least was there when Jesus was 12 in the temple in Jerusalem. So, and they're they're discouraged. They're sad. Because what they had hoped for hadn't happened. And there's a number of things, we don't have time to get into all of it today, but there's a number of things that what they say in these last couple verses is very revealing. For one, it was the leaders of the worship of Yahweh that had betrayed Jesus, that had condemned Jesus first, that had defied Jesus, that had said publicly, they're the ones, they're the pros, they're the leaders of of a faith that literally affected human history. That up until that point, all of ancient human history had been affected by these individuals. And Cleopas and Mary say, our leaders turned him over to the Romans to be put to death. They asked that he be put to death. What you say when someone asks you about Jesus, what actually comes out of your mouth, has a lot more to do with what you really believe than how you carry yourself, what you desire people to think. And Jesus has not shied away from people who are walking away. Jesus hasn't shied away from people who are walking away discouraged. The miracle has happened. In 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 a chronological sense, this is one of the first things that Jesus in his resurrected body does. He walks alongside, in gracious humility, people who are discouraged and people who are sad. People who walked with him 
followed him, he trained, he taught, he sent out, he released, he gave responsibility, he cared for, he knew, and yet his identity, they still did not have a full transformative understanding of who he is. Why? Because they're discouraged. They didn't stay to investigate. They didn't hang around. They're discouraged. They're sad. And Jesus comes and he walks alongside them. What does that say about Jesus and what Jesus is like? Then some of the women of our group of followers were at his tomb early this morning. They came back with this amazing report. They said the body was missing. They had seen angels who who told them Jesus is alive. Now this is one of the indicators that it's most likely Mary in this party because Mary was with the other Marys at the foot of the cross and it was the other Marys that went to the tomb that came back that said Jesus is alive. They said that this is, this is what they said. Some of our men ran out to see and, and, and sure enough his body was gone just as the women had said. Now watch this now. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, You find it so hard to believe. And the phrase that Jesus actually uses in the original language is you're slow of heart. Your heart has been slow to absorb, to take in, to to realize, to wake up to the truth of who I am. That's the original language where Jesus says you're slow of heart. You find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, this is one really important aspect of the story we can't ignore. The resurrection from Jesus of Jesus, Jesus coming back to life on the third day, is not an unexplained phenomenon. In the last few years, we've had unexplained phenomena that are being investigated, unidentified flying objects and other things. But the resurrection of Jesus is not an unexplained phenomenon. It's a verifiable historical fact, but more important to us today, Jesus unpacks for them the explanation that God had already given. Jesus, we derive from the meaning of this and what follows, Jesus takes them back and he walks them through the story. Did you know that every book within the Bible reveals God's redemptive work and Jesus Christ? Jesus can be found in every book. Jesus takes them to point them to help unpack for them the reality that in order to be the Messiah, in order to be a Savior, in order for this all to matter, he had to suffer and die. And that his death and suffering was predicted over and over and over. Not only that, but in order to be the Savior King, he needed to rise from the dead on the third day, winning a victory over death. And that was predicted and explained over and over and over already. Jesus had already taught on that. We have multiple references of Jesus predicting it, of Jesus explaining it. But what we see in this reference is on this more than two-hour walk, what Jesus does is he goes back to the Scripture. We have many issues in our world today 
that are in part the result of believers who are not literate to what the Bible actually says. Jesus is unpacking for them, this stuff matters. And here's what it really means. And here's what it really points to. Jesus is not saying that being a follower, a believer, is an academic exercise. He's not saying it's about taking the class. Graduation. Master's. PhD. He's not saying, did you take all the classes? What he's doing is he's pointing to himself, God's work of redemption through him that's revealed in the Scriptures. And how his death, burial, and resurrection was necessary. So what happens as he explains this? So by this time, they're nearing Emmaus at the end of the journey. Sorry that these aren't a little bit better contrast. That's my fault. So they're nearing the end of the journey. Two-hour, 20-minute walk, depending on how fast they were walking. Jesus acted as if he were going on. Jesus' sense of humor is seen in a lot of different ways. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them to where they stayed. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Blessed and broken. Remember just a few weeks ago, we talked about the table. Where Jesus had taught them this new thing and what it meant. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized Him. And at that moment, He disappeared. What? What? At the table. At the table. They recognized Him. There's a journey. There's a walking with. There's a journey that's going on that Jesus is still inviting us to today. There's a journey aspect of it. There's a walking through, the unpacking, a revealing of the truth of Jesus in Scripture. And there's a coming to the table. And it's not about the religious manipulation of outward actions that we always turn it into. Because Jesus disappears. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? The original language is a combination of, wasn't it heartwarming? It was a heartwarming conversation we had on the road. And as he was unpacking, didn't it cause our passions to light? It was igniting passion in us. The, the Greek is, it means both of those things. Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. They just finished a two and a half hour walk. And now they're headed back. There, they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord really has risen and appeared to Peter. They hear this account, Jesus is alive, and at this time, Jesus, after his disappearance, has appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread that carried meaning. Just as they were talking about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace. Be with you, he said. Remember, some of, we talked about this before, that shalom, the peace, bringing things healthy, whole, no more conflict. 
more stress, no more anxiety, no more fear. It's okay. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. I mean, wouldn't you? Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Now, I don't know about you, but I think for a lot of us, and certainly the writers of Marvel, if you were going to start something new that you wanted a whole bunch of people to follow, you might choose his appearance to be spiritual and supernatural. And it is, but it isn't. Because he's in a physical body that's the same size it was before. And carries the scars that they can touch. You can see it's really me. Look at my scars. Touch me and make sure I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. I love Jesus loves fish. And he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's, they had categorizations for what we have in the Old Testament. There's the first five books that they referred to as the law of Moses. There's the historical books. There's the Psalms and there's the prophets. He, Jesus is saying in all the Old Testament, I told you everything about me that was written about there then must be fulfilled. What does he do? Then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. He takes them back to the Scripture. It's not an unexplained phenomenon. The resurrection, Jesus explained it and what its purpose was. He takes them back. He said it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It's been predicted. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And what's the message? What's the message? Jesus is bringing it to a point. What's the point? Walking with Jesus brings him to peace and purpose. What's the message? There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Think about this. The two, Mary and Cleopas, on the road to Emmaus, they're disappointed because he didn't rescue Israel. The the phrasing is literally because he didn't deliver us from Roman rule. But what would happen in many ways is that the spiritual kingdom of Jesus would be opened up to all people and that not just people birthed into the nation of Israel, but it would explode and multiply and the kingdom of Jesus would far outnumber the number of Israelites. And that if if Jesus had delivered them from this political and military cruel rule, they could not have multiplied, they could not have grown. What they had hoped for could not have been accomplished in the way they wanted it to be accomplished. Some of us need to hear that today. God had a better plan. Through Jesus, this love, this faith would be opened up to people of every nation. This message, there's forgiveness of sins for all who repent. 
You are witnesses of these things, he said to them, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And there's a break in the text here, so it's, it's over a month later. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem, were filled with great joy, and they spent all their time in the temple praising God. They went back to the place of worship. Walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus. They went from a place where their heart and soul, where their condition, they were discouraged. Clearly, they followed Jesus because something in life was already out of order. There was a hunger for things to be different. There was a yearning for something that was missing. And they went from a place of being heartbroken to this heartwarming, passion-igniting condition. By walking with Jesus, they found peace and they found purpose. And I think it's really important for us to investigate why. What did they believe? And that's why always with us, we're glad to give you a purple book which is a list of questions that any normal person might wonder about. And it's it's mostly just questions with an opportunity for you to write things in. And with each question, then there's a Scripture reference for you to be able to go to a Scripture and look up and find the answer and then reflect on what is it that you learned. Why? Why is it that I have leaned so much on this? Some of you have asked me this. Because this stuff matters. And because I have come to believe that a lot of times we suffer depression, anxiety, and things that we don't have to, but because we haven't gone deepened enough into what this really means. Ask the difficult questions. What does it really mean? And then learning the answers to those questions. And what we see even when Jesus asked them, Cleopas and Mary, What they said revealed what they actually believe. If you have somebody who's not a Jesus follower, doesn't know Jesus, ask you what it means, what you actually said reveals a lot about what's in your heart. And going deeper can bring a change in your life, an increase of peace and a sense of purpose. So let's go through just a few of the statements that summarize what they believed. Christ died for our sins, buried and raised from the dead. Just as the scriptures said, he was seen by Peter and the disciples. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. He's saying, you can go and meet the people that saw him. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that God sent, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life and the power of his name. 
Jesus said he was going to give you new life, new spiritual life. Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. There's purpose in the resurrection. What kind of God is this? God who is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were afraid because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you've been saved. One of the things we've reacted against quite a bit is where some people who call themselves Christians have brandished certain positions in our culture that we are special. In fact, in Deuteronomy 9, God said to the Israelites that He didn't give them the promised land because they were special. He said He gave it to them because of the wickedness of the people that were there. God knows our hearts. God loves people. Peter writes that God wants all to come into this relationship. It is, oh, that's what's being written about here. It's only by God's grace you've been saved. It's a good gift you didn't deserve. For He raised us from the dead with Christ. We have spiritual resurrection and seated us with Him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, it's our relationship with Jesus that brings us into a spiritual state of peace, of victory, of joy, here and now, and will ultimately be fulfilled. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. John 6.7, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The message today is simple. Walking with Jesus, you can find peace and purpose. Jesus said this message was there, it was real, it was available. This is, I love this quote from the Purple Book. What makes God's gift of grace so costly is that Jesus paid for it with his life. What makes it so powerful is that he came back from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God and that God accepted his sacrifice as payment for our sins. Now I want to pause for prayer and we're going to go to the communion table and then I'm going to finish with the rest of the story. We're going to do all that in seven minutes. I don't know where you're at in your journey. Maybe you've carried yourself, attended this Sunday thing for a long time. Maybe this is your first time. I haven't walked alongside you but God has. And I want to explain just very briefly, but Jesus is so patient walking alongside people. But what we also see in this story, and as it's explained in many other ways, is that he brings people to a point of decision. Because in truth, in your physical body, tomorrow's not promised to you. And there is a point of decision that you need to come to. And I'm not putting any pressure on you. You have lots of questions. God has lots of patience, lots of time. And we have people here be glad to give you a purple book, give you a Bible, walk alongside you for however long that journey takes. Because I believe that God loves you and he's already talking to you, whether you believe it or not, whether you desire it or not. Because God loves you. It's real. 
But allow me to explain what, that, what, we, what we read about looks like. It's a prayer that's something like this. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I confess my sins. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn away from the past and I turn to you. Thank you. I know over the last few years, some of us have had a lot more time to ourselves and we've fallen into some mistakes, some habit patterns that have been self-destructive, some self-inflicted wounds, some things that we keep private that are in the way of our relationship with God. But right here, right now, I want to give you an opportunity. You want to pray that prayer for the first time or maybe you hear the Holy Spirit calling you back to a relationship with God. I want to give you a chance to have some one-on-one time with God and then we're going to go to the communion table. God, I thank you that you care about us, that you love us, that you never give up on us, that even when we are walking away discouraged, hopeless, that you come and you walk alongside us. You know where we are. You know so well what's going on in our mind and our heart. And you come and you patiently walk with us. God, I ask, would you help people right now in this moment to turn to you with faith? So I'll say that prayer one more time just in case you want a little bit of help in in praying that. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I confess my sins. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn away from the past and I turn to you. Thank you. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, Jesus teaches that there's a celebration in heaven. There's joy in heaven. A people that one day you will get a chance to meet that celebrate at your faith. Now let's go to the communion table. If you're a Jesus follower and you want to participate in the table, we get some of us will pop up and be glad to put the elements in your hands. And I'm going to read the scripture as Jesus explained it. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This happened before the crucifixion on the Passover weekend. And he took a cup of wine. He gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread He gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant agreement between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. He instructed his followers to do this practice together often. He instructed them to do this, to take bread to take the cup and remember his sacrifice and so that's that's what we are doing 
Um, and if it's uh, something that is new to you, feel free to pass it by. Uh, no big deal. Um, but that is what it is there for. Okay, everybody had a chance to kind of wrestle with these individually wrapped things. Let's see if in my one-handed state I can accomplish it. All right. All right. So Jesus said to take the bread. This is my body which is broken for you. Let's take the, the wafer. Thank you, Jesus, that you allowed your body to be broken. He said, take the cup. This is my blood shared with you in the covenant. A covenant agreement between God and people. Let's take the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, for your death, for what it accomplished. You took on yourself our sins. Thank you for your resurrection life. Thank you for it. In closing, the rest of the story. Cleopas and Mary had a son. His name is Simeon. Simeon had a a faith in Jesus that grew after what we read about in the New Testament. It grew so powerfully that in fact, Cleopas was named the next pastor of the Jerusalem church after Peter. The faith of Jesus in Cleopas and Mary, the two that walked with him on the road to Emmaus, led to a son who had faith And after Peter was martyred, after he was put to death for his faith, that Cleopas led that church through some amazing growth and amazing difficulty. That's the rest of the story. Why? Why would Simeon do that? In fact, Simeon himself was also martyred. Why? Why would that happen? Here's why. Because Simeon believed this, and I want to go to a paraphrased version of a part of the account that we just read. Then he said, Jesus said, everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. All the things written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms have to be fulfilled. He went on to open their understanding of the Word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way. He said, you can see now how it was written that the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day. And then a total life change through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations, to people of every ethnicity and race, starting from here, from Jerusalem. You were the first to hear and see it. You're the witnesses. Jesus' followers, you are the witnesses. Walking with Jesus brings peace and purpose. God gives us identity, value, and purpose. You see, in whatever state you're in, whatever physical challenges, financial challenges, problems, obstacles, whatever you're facing, God has already been faithful to the promise he gave to Abraham and blessed to be a blessing. God has already given you his best in Jesus Christ. You are blessed so you can be a blessing. You are witnesses of this powerful truth. So friends, 
Let's go from here today in joy, with fresh purpose and peace. Thank you so much for coming today. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.